This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Blue Monday podcast, a three times weekly show looking into the exciting happenings at Ipswich Town Football Club. And in this special edition of the flagship show, it's an absolute honour to be joined by an Ipswich Town Hall of Famer with 314 appearances, 45 goals and two Supporters Player of the Year awards to his name. It's the captain. It's Matt Holland. How are you, Matt? I'm pretty good, thank you. Yeah, yourself? Yeah, not doing too badly. How are you dealing with the self-isolation? Um, I'm going a bit stir-crazy now. Could do with some football. Um, how am I coping? I'm a bit sunburnt. You can tell I was out in the garden yesterday. The boys have been running me ragged in the garden. Uh, they're both here now. I've got a son who's out in America doing his uni, um, but he's come back. So he's doing online classes. And the other one works in London, but he's uh, back and set up an office here as well. So um yeah they're they're running me ragged in the garden i've got a little bit sunburnt but I'm, I'm all good excellent it's good to hear so i'm sure you're aware matt that the renegade stat man did a fine interview last week with your old mate jim mcjilton well how could how could i refuse your request once super jim said yes <laughs> of course and jim was given one word to describe you i don't know if you've listened yet but he chose gorgeous um what would you <laughs> what would you choose as your word for jim um cool motor mouth <laughs> okay. yeah, automatic gums way. yeah <laughs> I, I also saw he said he wouldn't like to self-isolate with me I was a bit disappointed with that um <laughs> and mind you I'm not sure I'd want to self-isolate with Jim either I think after an hour I think I might it might run a bit um yeah it might be a bit too much for me excellent and as uh in your introduction, the stats that I used, of course, came from the Renegade stat man. Um, so he did a favour for me. My favour to him is to ask you how you feel about being on 49 island caps rather than 50. Well, it's funny, actually. I, I mean, I can't turn my computer around, but I've got my caps above me here in a cabinet. And um, each season you got a cap. You didn't get one per game. But each season you got one and it's, it gives you a number. If you add the numbers up, it gets to 50. So... <laughs> Work that one out. I, I actually Excellent. played. I actually played a B international as well. 
So maybe that maybe they've counted the B internationally. It does count up to 50 on my cap. So, um, and I, yeah, he, listen, he, he loves Jim as well, doesn't he? So Jim's his favourite player. So um, I'm a bit disappointed about that as well. <laughs> Brilliant. So, yeah, let's go back to the start of your Ipswich Town career. And after two full seasons in the third tier with Bournemouth, you signed for Ipswich in 1997 for £800,000. Um You'd come through the West Ham Academy. Did you see Ipswich as a stepping stone in your career when you first signed, or did you have a feeling that Portman Road might be a long-term destination for you? I didn't really know, to be honest. I mean, I'd, I'd gone from West Ham and and um, who were in the Premier League at the time down to Bournemouth. Uh, I was at an age where I needed to be playing first-team football. I wasn't happy, you know, just kicking my heels in the reserves, um, and I needed to be playing regular first-team football. And and of course, like many. Um, West Ham players at that time under Harry Redknapp, you ended up going down to Bournemouth because everyone seemed to do that. I went there and had two really good years under Mel Machin. He was a brilliant manager. Um, someone who really, I think, brought out leadership qualities in me from an early age, to be quite honest. I mean, I think I, I had them anyway because I was captain at, at youth levels and reserves for West Ham. Um, but in terms of taking it to the next level, he really brought out that leadership character from me. So I had two brilliant years there. Um but the moment that George Burley came and spoke to me, we were at the Royal Bath in Bournemouth. I remember it vividly. Uh, I'd, I hadn't been that long going out with my wife. And um, I came back from the meeting and I said, uh, we're moving. And she said, what do you mean we're moving? <laughs> she said, well, I'm moving. I'm going, I'm going to Ipswich. I'd like you to come, um, at which... That fortunately enough, she did. Uh, but once I spoke, once I spoke to George, it, it was my mind was made up really that I was going to come to Ipswich. And it, such a rich history. Growing up, you know, I used to go and watch my dad play football on a Saturday, and um, after the games, there'd always be, um, you know, you, the, the lads asking me what the results were because I was the one with the radio listening to the results, and I'd be sort of going, "Well, Ipswich won," and they, and Paul Cooper saved the penalty, and I, I remember saying it virtually every week. Um, so I grew up knowing a lot about. Ipswich and the history, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, what a brilliant team they were. Um, and George actually it was funny because he said I first came to his attention playing for West Ham Reserves uh, against him when he was the manager at Colchester. He actually oh, played okay. against he actually played in a reserve game at Layer Road, and he said that was the moment that he sort of kept an eye on me. Uh, so once I went to Bournemouth and, and had a had a couple of years down there, they'd watched me an awful lot. I think the report, you know, the, the chief scout and everything, they, they probably watched me about twenty odd times. So, um, but, but but George George was, you know, he didn't really need to sell the club to me. I knew all about Ipswich Town, and and I was determined once I knew of their interest that I was coming. Excellent. It actually was quite a difficult start that season um, in terms of the team and, and results, but it ended up being a pretty good one. We finished in fifth. We had memorable wins over Manchester United, who, who you used to support, of course, before you became an Ipswich fan, um, and and the 5-0 win against Norwich as well. What, what are your memories of that first season and in particular those two games? Well, uh, I mean, first and foremost, when, it, when George signed me, he signed me to replace Steve Sedgley. And, and there was a you know, feeling that obviously Sedge was playing in a, in a back three. Uh, and when tactically we could change things, I could move into midfield. Um, and, and like Steve Sedgley had done the previous season. Um, I, I think not that I was frustrated, but 10, ten games in, I think the first, the first time he moved me into midfield was against Stoke. And, I, and although we lost the game 3-2, I scored in the game. And I, scored, I think I scored in the next game against uh, Torquay. Yeah, playing in midfield, I scored twice against Torquay in the Cup. Oh, the old 
Coca-Cola Cup, yeah. The old Coca-Cola Cup, yeah. Um, so so those I scored three goals in two games, and I think that was the moment where I think he thought I perhaps got perhaps got too much energy to play at the back. Um, you know, I was obviously uh, I really prided myself on being able to get about the pitch and being a box-to-box midfielder, and I think at that point George thought. I'd probably got too much energy to be played at the back um, and, and obviously um, ended up playing more and more in midfield. The games, I remember, I mean, I remember the Man United game very well because obviously it was the first time I'd, I'd played against uh, Man United and Mauricio Tarico scored that wonderful goal as well. He, you know, great character he was. And um, and the Norwich game, wow. I mean, that's that was something else, wasn't it? Alex Matthew hat-trick, Bobby Petter scoring two. Alex Matthew actually came off at half-time in that game, didn't he? He'd, yeah. already scored, he'd scored a hat-trick. And then uh, Bobby Bobby Petter scored a couple as well. So that was a, that was a fabulous day and a, a really good introduction to, to East Anglian derby life. <laughs> and of course, uh, you even stepped up to playing goal that season, a 5-2 win against Oxford. Did he fancy yourself as a keeper? Uh, you're on just... Under six foot, of course, or was it delegated <laughs> to you? They were like, "Oh, we Matt will do it." No, well, I actually did fancy myself as a bit of a goal. Not, 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 not at any level, by the way. Um, but I'd done it for West Ham reserves at Arsenal, actually okay. at Highbury. Um, and I went in goal, and we ended up losing the game two one. But I played the whole of the second half in goal in that game. I think the goalkeeper got set. Oh, so we played 10 men uh, and I, I let one goal in, but I, I made a couple of good saves. So I did fancy it. And in training, I used to sort of be one who would dive around and do stupid things. And um, so, uh, yeah, I, I ended up sort of getting the job. You know, look back and it was ridiculous because Richard Wright went off and the shirt was down my knees. I looked, I looked <laughs> absolutely ridiculous doing it. And, it, and then, of course, uh, Kevin Francis, wasn't he, who scored yeah. against All seven me. foot four of him. Well, Six foot seven or six foot eight or whatever he was, and I came trying to put the ball above him, even with my hands, I couldn't even reach him. So that was ridiculous. Um, it was a quite an eventful game that as well because I, I scored in the game, gave away a penalty late on as well. Uh, I don't think there's too many who've gone in goal, let a goal in, scored, and then given a penalty away in the same game. <laughs> no, it was quite incredible and yeah, brilliant time to be an Ipswich fan. That was my that was my first year as a season ticket holder, and we seem to be putting five pass teams every week or twice a week in that case. Well, I think and we did it. I think we did it three or four games in a row, didn't we? I think we scored yeah, five. Yeah, it was Port Vale, Oxford, Norwich, and yeah, I'm sure there was a couple of others in there as well. And you you personally ended up with 12 goals in that first season um, and you're a regular goal scorer throughout your career. Um, I'd say that your, your late runs into the box were what you were known for. Um, obviously, Frank Lampard went through the same West Ham academy as you. Was that something that was taught at West Ham or, or was it just a strength that you sort of developed as you went on? Not really. I think it was something that I, I, I mean, I always wanted to play central midfield. You, you've already said that I was a Man United. You've outed me already. Cheers. Thanks for that. Uh, as a Man United, as a Man United fan growing up, I, mean, I was born near Manchester um, and I actually went, I actually went to school with the Neville brothers, Gary and Phil Neville. They were, they were a little bit young. Gary was a year below me and Phil was three years, I think, below me. Um, and you're either, you're either a Man United fan or a Man City fan at that time. Um, mm. And I was, I was obviously a, a United fan as well. And I prided myself really on on Brian Robson. He was someone that okay. when he joined when he joined Man United, 
I mean, yeah, Captain Fantastic. He, I, he was someone that I looked at and thought, you know, he plays through the pain barrier. He, he's, you know, he, he, get, he picks up knocks and bruises. But the way he used to make those runs into the box as well, you know, he used his energy to, to get beyond the striker. I don't think we see enough of that now in Premier League football or football mm. generally. The midfielder going beyond the strikers and making those runs. Um, yeah, you know, I think they almost get pigeonholed now as a holding midfield player and number 10. Um, but I don't, even number 10s, I don't think. You know, I think they always want to come to the ball rather than go being behind at times. And I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that more in the in general in football. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was Brian Robson really. Not, I mean, not that I was any you know anywhere near as good as him. Um, but he was the one that I sort of did look at and think I'd like to be a bit like that. Okay, excellent. And I believe it was the the following season that you took over the captaincy from Tony Mowbray. Is that right? Yeah, ninety eight, ninety nine season. Uh, yeah. Was, I think was that... was it not Grant Williams. Grant Williams had been the captain, I think, and, and obviously Tony was was a skipper as well. You know, okay. Obviously, a, a senior figure. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I was, I was obviously hugely honoured that that George, you know, made me a captain at, at such a, a young age, really, as well. Because I only joined in '97. I was 23 at the time when I joined, so I'd have been what 24 being made captain. Yeah, was that was that difficult um, with all those senior players like you, you mentioned, Grant Williams and Tony Mowbray. And there was one or two others that had been there a long time as well. Was it was it was it hard for a young player, or was that something that you you just took in your stride? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I'd been captain, as I say, growing up, pretty much been captain at every team I played for, whatever you know, whatever team it was, school or club side, or um, and then even even sort of West Ham, I was the captain of the youth team, captain of the reserves. Um, I've been captain at Bournemouth for two seasons previously as well in, in difficult circumstances down at Bournemouth as well so uh, it was it, it wasn't something that phased me really I, to be honest I, I actually think that um, my job was easy really being a captain at Ipswich because you the senior figures because we had enough leaders in the in the dressing room anyway well you know it wasn't just me you know there was there was a number of players that, that were sort of captain material and big voices and big characters so um, no, I didn't. I didn't feel any any real pressure of, of being being skipper. And of course, it was another step towards being Brian Robson as well, wasn't it, with the captain's armband? Well, um, it's, fu- it, it's funny because I, I was always number seven as well growing up. So I always okay. used to I always used to wear number seven. Um, even at Bournemouth, I, my number was number seven at, at Bournemouth, um, and it was only once I went to Ipswich and got the number eight shirt that that's when number eight became my number throughout my career. But um, it was only it only changed at um, Ipswich getting the number eight shirt. Okay, and it and it it's obviously stuck with you because even your Skype address is. It's got the number eight in it. I won't give it away to all the viewers. No, don't but... tell everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Most people be able to guess what it is now. Um, so I've I've mentioned um, Jim Jilton already. Um, he joined in that 98-99 season on loan initially. Um, and I must mention a number of your ex-teammates, Roy Keane. Um, when Jim Jilton signed, uh, he said he wanted to raise the standards and intensity on the training pitch. Do you have any memories of that? And was it similar to your experiences training with Roy Keane in that respect? Uh, Jim was very demanding uh, in a good way, in a good way, because uh, and actually Roy, Roy as well, were quite similar, really, in that in that respect. Um, their, their demands just, you know, as soon as you cross the white line, whether it be training or a football match, were incredibly high. They stand, their own personal standards were very high uh, and they expected everybody else to do 
you know, follow and do exactly that as well. Um, in terms of trying to remember a particular incident with Jim on the training ground, I mean, look, he snapped and started. If he didn't pass him the ball, he'd be screaming at you. Um, and he was very competitive. But I think we we all we're all competitive in different ways. And Jim was obviously very vocal and very animated about the way he went about things. It might have intimidated one or two. I don't know. But, I, you know, I, I actually really enjoyed. I loved, I mean, I loved Jim. And he's got this saying, let the, uh, I think, what is it? Let the was runners let run. Let the players play, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let the runners run. Players play, let the runners run. And he always used to say, I'm, I'm the legs and he's the player, which fair enough. No problem at all. Um, but he he um, he did raise standards, and he I, I mean, there's a couple of times he sort of said to me as well, just have a bit more belief in your own ability as well, because I'm I'm someone who generally even in you know everyday life I'm quite safe and do things straight and do things you know the right way, and um, uh, even at fo- football sometimes I could probably be a bit safe at times. He wasn't the only person that said that to me. Alan Pardew once said it to me at Charlton as well. Um, I, you know, I wasn't ambitious enough in my passing at times, but but you know, I had my strengths, and and you know, that's why it works so well, really, with myself and Jim. I think in midfield uh, because we're so different as well, and, and and our you know the way we played and went about the game, we are very different. And it, and if you're going to be a good pair, you've all you've got to marry those attributes up. And I think together, I thought we were a, you know a, a good pair. And, and of course, we we played three in midfield a lot as well as so Jermaine Wright, Tommy Miller, whoever else it was that played in in the middle of midfield as well that contributed to that. Um, but I did enjoy playing with Jim. Yeah, I was I was going to get onto that actually because Kieran Dye was sold to Newcastle at the end of ninety eight ninety nine, and this is this is an area that we've covered quite extensively on Blue Monday over the last the last few few weeks and and even years. But Burley reinvested the money really wisely. Um, but did you? Did you have to change your game when Magilton became your sort of full-time partner? And how different was he to play with than Kieran Dyer? Um, I think I think when because obviously when when Kieran first played in midfield, it was it was actually at the expense of Grant Williams because Grant Williams had been playing there. And he was very much a holding midfield player. So for me, you know, reins off, get in the box. That's the way I wanted to play. That was that suited me down to the ground. With Kieran, obviously, he had more energy than I had probably, you know, he was someone who was like human dynamo, wasn't he? He was here, there and everywhere. And um, uh, then not, not so much alter it. Cause I think, I think then it was a case of perhaps taking it in turns or being a bit more you know, sensible about when you make your runs as well. Cause you couldn't have both me and Kira making our way into the penalty box and then getting caught the other way as well. So um, I guess that's where my, you know, experience, I guess, and, and having played a few more games than Kieran as well, maybe came into it and, and maybe allowed Kieran at times to go f- further forward. Uh, and then when Jim came in, he was someone, although he liked to get forward at times as well, and he got plenty of goals and he'll remind you of that. He'll tell you about his hat trick until you're blue in the face and he'll, he'll put you to sleep with it. No, day, no doubt about it. But um, yeah, he was someone that generally wanted to go and get the ball off the back four and try and play from there, which gave me, again, a little bit more freedom to get up with the strikers and go and get the second balls off them at times. Yeah, so would would you agree that it kind of, it made you a better player, having Magilton alongside you because you were so different? Uh, I, don't, I don't know, really. I, mean, I, I, I ask for others to judge, really. I, I, <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't ever say, you know... Um, that because just because it was alongside Jim, but certainly, certainly he, he, you know, 
he helped me as well. You know, in midfield and you know, talking to me and organising things as well from behind at times. You know, it's easier. I think I actually think it's easier to be a captain at centre half. I think that's the best. That that's probably the best position to be a captain because you can see everything and you can dictate everything and, and you're not having to make all those runs everywhere. So you've got a bit more energy and a bit more breath to make those decisions at times. And um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that midfield is the best position to be a captain. Um, but but certainly um, playing alongside Jim was was never a chore. No, not at all. And you, you despite having that midfield of you, Jim and and Kieran Dar, we just missed out in the playoffs against Bolton in ninety eight ninety nine. You were ever present once again. Do you think that it was a bit of bad luck, or were we just still not quite there as a team yet, not quite ready for promotion? Uh, well, we've been knocking on the door. It's my sec, obviously my second playoff, and the club's third. Um, so we, we're knocking on the door. I, I think we're a little bit unlucky, actually. It, um, I, I thought we were a little bit. You know, we went out on, on away goals in that semi-final, didn't we, against Bolton? Um, Kieran scored a couple, didn't he, in the in in the game at Portman Road, and I did as well. Actually, that that goal against the, um. Bolton in that second leg at Portman Road is is one of my son's favourites of mine because you said about breaking forward and I said and I said through, yeah. well and I said about getting beyond the strikers at times as well but that is you know that is the archetypal third man run where you know the plays building up and I make the run and, and actually I ended up playing with Klaus Jensen at Charlton and he's the one if you watch it I run off him and he's he's about twenty yards before he I'm 20 yards beyond him before he even turns around and sees sees where I am and that's one of my son's favorite goals he always says that to me he says oh, I love that goal of yours dad I really enjoy it so um but that's that was that is the archetypal third man run and what I say is is missing out of today's game I think another area of your game that was particularly strong was was your tackling and I remember sitting in the Britannia stand my dad always used to say watch how Matt Holland tackles he fly. You used to fly in at such pace that you were never going to get injured, and you were always going to get the ball. But you, at the same time, you weren't a dirty player. But do you think if you were playing now, you would have to adapt your tackling slightly because you did. You were hard and fair, but can you even be that now? I think I think I would have to be a, a bit more careful about flying into some of the tackles that I did. Yeah. Um, uh, there was one actually in the World Cup, and he's he's sadly no longer with us now. Mark Vivian Foe uh, against Cameroon in that first game, and it, and it's funny because uh, playing alongside Roy for Ireland as well, he was always someone that early on in the game made a big tackle just to get the crowd up, just to get that noise around the stadium. And, and you know, good tackle is as, as good as a goal at times because it can generate an atmosphere. And one particular game he played, we played against Holland, and he put Mark Overmars back about eight foot in yeah. about eight foot in the air it's quite a famous it's a famous moment but in that in that world cup i made a really big strong challenge on mark vivian foe early on in the game as well where you win the ball but the, your trailing leg catches him as well and that's the sort of tackle which you'd have to be really careful of and and probably you wouldn't be able to i wouldn't be able to make now if i was playing um playing playing football now was it was it given as a foul no, no, no. I'd, I'd, pretty much as you said, really, I, I won the ball, but the follow through and the, and the trailing leg then caught him mm. quite quite strongly. Let's put it that way. Um, and and so that's something I'd, I'd certainly have to be careful. Of. I, I don't know whether you're you're trying to allude. I mean, I, I was quite lucky really. I didn't get too many yellow cards either, or or whatever. But I don't know if you're trying to get to it, but the challenge against Alex Ray at Sunderland. Oh, okay. I think was that in the. 
the two-one defeat. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and I and I probably should have been sent off. I, I made a challenge on Alex Ray, just I think right on half time and quite near the dugout as well, where he went high and I went higher, and and actually. <laughs> Actually, afterwards, Peter Reed was really good about it and sort of said, I oh, know he's a you know, good, strong challenge and all that sort of stuff. But actually, if you watched it again now, you'd say it was a definite red. Yeah, well, we, we've been watching back the uh, the, the playoff semi-finals quite extensively um, recently. And there was a tackle that Tony Mowbray did in the, I think it was in extra time, where he pretty much two, he two foots uh, the Bolton player running with the ball and just sort of ends up just sitting on the ball. And the commentator says, what a fantastic tackle it was. And you watch it now and you think, wow, like that wouldn't be considered a good tackle now. But just another question on, if you were still playing, Matt, would you still be wearing Adidas World Cups and Copa Mundials? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think coloured boots suit me, do you? Um, <laughs> I, I, long, I don't know, coloured hair or shaved hair and tattoos, coloured boots. It's not really, it's not really my thing. In fact, towards the, towards the end of my career... It, it was getting to the stage where the, the lads were just hammering me really for, for having black and white boots because coloured boots were all the rage. They used to even call me the referee at Charlton. It lasts, I think the last two years they used to call me the ref because I, I continued to wear them. And um, even now I've still got, that's all, that's all I've got is the black and white boots. My, my brother used to work um, for Mizuno and he got me a pair of, uh, I don't know whether they're yellow or white. And I, and I was at a charity, I had a charity game at Stanford Bridge and I put them on, honestly, and I just looked at them and thought, what am I doing? get them off get, my, get the copers back on and, and so no it's always copers and well well world cups in matches because i always wore studs in matches it didn't matter it didn't matter if you if you look i mean even if the pitch was rock hard i always wore even a small stud um because that that then differentiated between training and a game for me when it when it when it became business and it became match day i had the studs okay. on in training so they were like they were like your business suit then in a way they, they were like the suit they were like so training um, Copa Mundials. You can, I can see him in the background. Of, what, what yeah. a pair of boots! Um, so, so I, uh, I always wore training copers. But when it came to match day, I always wore a stud. Even if, it, even if it was rock hard, I'd even, I even just put the small ones in, and, and I always wear studs for match day. Excellent, absolute um, throwback. You, you mentioned the Charlton players taking the Mickey out of you. I'm, I'm curious to know you. You were really immensely popular amongst the Ipswich fans, Charlton fans, Bournemouth fans and Republic of Ireland fans. And after every game, you would do the lap of appreciation where you clapped all four corners of the ground. Was that something that you really thought about doing or just came naturally and, and did the players take the mickey out of you for it? Uh, I don't, uh, not to my face, they didn't anyway. They probably, <laughs> they probably did, I'm sure. Uh it was something that I did at Bournemouth, actually. It was something that I started at Bournemouth and continued when I came to Ipswich. It, it, for me, the supporters are so important. You know, they pay you great money to come and watch you play, for you to entertain them, for you to put in a, a, a 100% performance. Now, look, you can't always play well, but as long as they see that they're getting 100% effort... Um, and I appreciated the fact that they would, you know, save up, buy a season ticket, come to the game through thick and thin, you know, be behind us. And the support was magnificent. And, and that was the reason why I did it and why, that's why I started it at Bournemouth and, and, and continued it at Ipswich. Um, and, and I suppose that helped. 
I maybe maybe helped a connection, an early connection between me and me and the supporters. Yeah, it was it was definitely appreciated, and yeah, look look back on those memories with such yeah, just such fondness. Um, and speaking of fondness, let's move into the two thousand and not the two thousand and nine, the ninety nine two thousand team. And how impressed were you by George Burley's recruitment going into that season? Yeah, I, I, I think you know George clearly did his homework on players um, and, and uh, p- personalities, obviously. Uh, but in terms of um, players, he wanted them that he wanted those that could play. You know, he, passing was his mantra. It, it was something that he'd been brought up himself on with Sir Bobby Robson. Uh, every training session, without fail, we started with a passing drill. You know, obviously, obviously, we did our warm up, but passing drill every single day in training with George you know at times he'd sort of be looking at God, we're doing it again we're doing the passing drill again but honestly the repetition and um you know it just became natural to, to do it and it, even if it was five yards 10 yards 15 yards whatever it might have been the distance that the passes it just became natural to do it and all the players that he signed could all play they all wanted to pass the ball. You know, even you, know, you think like Mark Venus signed the same time as me, actually, you know, wanted to play, wanted to get on the ball, wanted, he demanded the ball. He, you know, the ball was the ball was his friend. A bit like Jim, John McGreal, same, could play. Jermaine Wright could play. Marcus Stewart, all those players that I'm talking about, all wanted the ball and all could pass the ball. Uh, and that was, I think, when George was signing a player was the thing that he probably looked at the most. Um so yeah, I, I I think his his um, his ability to pick a player was was outstanding. And what what was uh, George Burley's man management like as well? Was he was he good with you? Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I, when when I say the lad didn't necessarily to my face take the Mickey about the lap of honor, they took the Mickey out of me about my relationship with George at times and used to call me <laughs> call me son of and and um, <laughs> so so yeah that, that look. I obviously have got a lot of time for George and of all the managers that I've ever had, he was the one that spent the most amount of time on making me a better player individually. Now, you know, obviously managers do a lot of group sessions, but in terms of individual stuff, it's not something that you'd necessarily see as much. Um, but George, not just me, by the way, it was other players in the team as well. And there's certain weaknesses in their, their game that he looked at and thought, right, how can I improve them? Now, George was a brilliant passer. So, the thing that he used to say to me and he and he his analogy was golf clubs so he used to get he used to say right you've got the driver you've got the three iron the four iron he said what you need now is a bit more finesse in your game you need the sand iron you know the pitching wedge those little delicate balls at times and that they were sort of they they that was one of the things that he worked heavily on just getting the ball out my feet just lifting balls into the strikers at times just those more delicate balls rather than driving because you know that big switch of play if you like at times get out your feet and drive one out to the wing I found that quite natural, but there was, there was things that I didn't. So that, he works heavily on that, getting on the half turn, looking to play forward. So in terms of trying to make me a better player, he's the manager that spent the most amount of time on a training ground trying to improve me as an individual. And it certainly paid off, didn't it? Because that 99-2000 season was absolutely superb. But we just fell short and ended up in the playoffs against Bolton as well. Were you and the players that were there the, the season before thinking about revenge or were you, were you starting to think psychologically, are we ever going to do this or, or were you quite confident because we'd finished a long way ahead of Bolton again? Yeah, I think uh, I think what I felt that that season, 
Uh, not necessarily revenge at all. I, I think what I felt was this is our turn. I, I, I mean, it's easy to say that now, isn't it? But because because of how it all ended up. But uh, we'd gone behind in so many games and and through that season, and, and the character in the side to come back at times, um, I think was there for everyone to see. And I think I just had that that feeling that no matter what was thrown at us, we were that we were experienced enough now to to deal with it and and that's obviously how it turned out clearly it, it going away from home and being behind again um and and obviously Marcus Stewart masterclass in in the uh, in the first leg he, he was i mean terrific player you talk about a player that's just just made that difference as well for us um his movement personally think he should have played for England the, the fact that he didn't I, I was amazed really um maybe just that he hasn't got that half a yard of pace but the first, the first three or four yards was in his head anyway. His movements get away from defenders was un- unbelievable. Yeah, and and so he maybe made a big difference for us. And, and obviously his two goals were were moments of class. Um, uh, the first one smashing one in from thirty yards, and the other one going yeah. round a keeper. Sorry, Matt. On on that on. first goal, I do do have a question written down on that one that um, Rich wanted to know. It, it looked like um, Stuart sort of gestures over his shoulder when you got the ball just at, just over halfway was did he sort of tell you to to play that ball over to him because he was going to have a shot or did it did it not quite happen like that was it all sort of just playing off instinct I think just playing off instinct I don't certainly don't remember him saying it I don't don't remember him saying anything to me um mm. but but certainly when you know when you when you try and play a ball to someone you it's it's weight of pass, it's appreciation, what they're going to do with it. You know, if you whack it out, he's got to get it under control, then he's got to turn. You know, it, just by being a bit more delicate with the pass, I guess, it gave him the opportunity to then make his mind up. He didn't have to have a touch. He could just turn. Um, you know, I, I would have shouted time, you know, free to turn or whatever. So um, it, it, just by playing a slightly softer pass meant that he didn't have to bring it under control and do all the hard work before he could... You know, obviously caught the goalkeeper unawares. Um, don't get me wrong; it's, it's not it's not the best assist you'll ever see in the world, and it's not what I'm claiming. It's not you know I wasn't trying to set him up to shoot a goal, particularly, <laughs> but I was setting you know, I, I was setting him up to he didn't have to have a touch and he could turn in one movement. And the second one was a moment of class as well. He's you know obviously very composed in front of goal. Mm. Yeah, but that's quite a, a long-standing debate amongst Ipswich fans: is what was the better goal um, as his teammate? What what one would uh, you go for? I actually think I think the second one was harder. I think I think the first one is just instinct. It's just you know I I, I scored a few from that sort of distance as well. And and uh, you know you, you as much as you hit you're aiming to hit the target. You know you're not necessarily picking a, that particular spot out. You're you're aiming to strike it hard and cleanly and and see where it goes. But the second one needed a bit more composure about it. I'd, so I'd I'd probably say that in terms of technical ability, the second one was was a much harder finish. And that set the set the second leg up quite beautifully, didn't it? Two two. Obviously, away goals didn't count at this stage. Got them back to Portman Road. Incredible atmosphere that night. Was it? It was the best game that I've ever been to. Was it the best game you've ever played in? I think it. It it'd probably have to be. It probably have to be. Um, I, I still send a Christmas card to Barry Knight now and again. <laughs> not, not really. Not really. He, uh, <laughs> I know Sam. You got Aldice. every decision right, as far as I'm concerned. And me. And me. Um, I think Sam Allardyce still looks at it quite bitterly, doesn't he? Um, yeah. But. 
but uh, no, it was it was it was incredible, incredible. It ebbed, flowed. I mean, Jim Magilton scored a hat trick. It, it, it was just ridiculous penalties. Um, I, it had absolutely everything, and and probably quite drained actually at the end of it as well because of the emotions. You know, you'd go from going through, we're, we're not going through. We're get, are we going to get to Wembley? We're not going to get to Wembley. The emotions just ebbed and flowed the whole evening. Um, so I can. I, at least on the pitch, you're in control of it. You know, I always, th- I always used to say that. You know, I used to hate watching matches that my team was a part of because you can't influence the game. There's nothing you can do about it. And 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 I'd be kicking and heading every single ball on the touchline if I wasn't playing. And um, so, if I was a su- supporter, I'd have been exactly like that. I'd have been an absolute nightmare. I'd have been a nervous wreck on the pitch. Actually. I think I was fine. I think I was okay. I, of course, the emotions are running high. Um, and at times I had to calm one or two down. I think I had to calm Jim down a couple of times as well in that game. Not for the first time, I might add. Uh, but but, um, but I think when you're playing, there's a sense of serenity about it and, and that you're able to you're able to control the destiny of it. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, I mean, I, I was only eight years old um, I don't uh, at the time. Old. so I. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, maybe I didn't quite take in just, just how nerve wracking it was. I obviously was nervous, but I, I think deep down, I always sort of knew that we were going to do it but that that was just eight-year-old me so at the end of the end of the game the fans run on the pitch and I can remember you being held aloft um what was that like and what are your memories of the celebrations that night did you you go out on the town we it it was actually quite frightening to be honest when the fans came on you know I was thinking how am I ever going to get back to the the dugout because I think I was about a halfway line when I first got stopped and and I was thinking I don't think I'm ever going to get off the pitch <laughs> and and um, yeah, I think it was quite intimidating at the time. Um, we did celebrate, yeah, we did. We 
we went to a bar just around the corner from Portman Road. Uh, didn't stay long. I had a couple of beers, but um, I, yeah, it, it, I, I, to be honest, you've still got a job to do. That's the thing. That, you know, at that point, we weren't promoted. It was a brilliant feeling. Don't get me wrong. You, for the first time, we got to the final. Uh, but but the most important thing was winning the final at Wembley. And although it was, what, 10, 11 days ago away, um, I, 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 my feeling really at that point was we've still got we've still got the job to do. We've still got to get promoted. You know, it's nice getting the pat on the back. We've done really well tonight. But actually, the most important one now is 10 days down the line. So I think that would have been my overriding thought at that time. Yeah, you, you mentioned the 10, 10 days up to the final because it was on the bank holiday Monday, wasn't it? I'm interested to know how how you filled that time, and was it was it really difficult mentally preparing yourself over such a long period of time? Yeah, I um, I remember George kept saying, "I want everything to be as normal as possible," uh, and that was his sort of thing about it. You know, everything that we'd done in the season, he didn't want to change anything. He wanted everything to be the same, and he didn't want to try and you know feel like it was a, a, a much bigger game than what we've gone through already. Uh, and he just tried to be as normal as possible about training. So we, we didn't do anything spectacular. We didn't do anything different. We just kept doing the same things, you know, going to uh, the Playford road and, tr- and training as normal. And um, so, so nothing, nothing was altered at all in the, in the build up to the farm. It was just exactly as we'd been doing it. I think we went a couple of days. I think we went, I think we went two nights before um, and stayed at a hotel in Windsor before the, before the final. Um, but that was, that was, I mean, we'd always stay, we'd always stayed overnight for matches away anyway. So it wasn't like a, a massive deal either. And then on to the final, the, 29th of May 2000, you lived every Ipswich fan's dream by leading the team out at Wembley, albeit alongside Jamie Scowcroft, who missed out. Can you explain to us, mere mortals, how that felt walking out and seeing the 35,000 Ipswich fans well, and 35,000 Barnsley <laughs> fans at the other end? You've, you've actually just given me goosebumps now just talking about it. Um, I, as a kid growing up, it was a dream, really, for me. Uh, yeah, football was has been will always be my life. Growing up, my dad, my dad was a, not a bad player. And I used to go and watch him every Saturday. And and you know, my first pair of football boots, I slept in for a week. You know, football literally was was my life. And and growing up, being a United fan, as you've you've said, uh, eighty three cup final, eighty five cup final, uh, they won both of those, and. Um, that dream of walking up the steps and, and lifting a trophy at Wembley was was there from an early age. It's all I ever wanted to be, and, it, and you know, some some you know changed their mind between being a policeman, a fireman, an astronaut, a footballer. For me, it was literally I want to be a footballer, and I want to uh, you know I want to play at the highest level, and, and I want to lift a trophy at Wembley. They were the, they were like the, and I wanted to be on Question of Sport. That was another one as well. So <laughs> growing up, and I've done that a few that. times. I've done that a few times as well. So that was pretty good. Um, but but lifting a trophy at Wembley, walking out, and and just seeing the sea of blue at our end where we came out it, it, phenomenal honestly that's that's probably the most nervous I've been before any game and and I include the World Cup the World Cup actually I, I think I think because of what the experience I'd had at Wembley and, and that that moment of trying you know 
I felt a bit better about it, and you know, I, 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 got, I say I got nervous. You know, you got the butterfly, you got the buzz for the game, and and and. But I always, I always felt I slept well the night before games, uh, and I was absolutely fine. That's probably the most nervous I've been for any any game, and um, I actually should have scored early on in the game as well. It really it irritates me even to this day. About 15, 20 minutes in, I should have done better with the shot, and that bothers me even to this day. Uh, but, but even though we won. Um, but that that moment coming out and and just seeing the fans and uh, just it's hard to describe really because that's it's all the work that I put in all the training all the um, sacrifices all the not going out with my mates all the you know all the things that y- you can do when you're younger um, that I'd sacrificed and put to one side because all I all I ever had in my mind was to be a footballer it all came true in that moment. So it was, I, I can't, I can't really describe it. I've actually, I, I've still got, you know, I get goosebumps about it now. It was, it's an amazing feeling, amazing feeling. My, my most treasured moment of that day is um, going back and watching it at home with my dad. We actually, the celebrations went well into the night, as you can imagine. Um yeah, I'm, I'm sort of probably going off track here, but we, no, no, it's fine. The, the bus, the bus journey home, we played Wonderwall all the way home. It, <laughs> it, it went on over and over again on a loop. George Burley was a bag. We were having beers on the bus. We had a brilliant time. We got to the Suffolk showground. Jim Rajilton had the mic, and no one could get it off him. Uh, <laughs> so that was fine. Uh, but at that moment, although I wanted to celebrate with the lads and, and enjoy it. I, I was sort of like probably quite drained by what the whole season, the day itself. Um, and all I wanted to do really was, was go home and have a beer with my dad and, and chat to him because he was, he was the one that took me here, there and everywhere as a kid, you know, never missed a game till I was about 17, 18 was the one that was really sort of my, my, I always, I always say my biggest fan and my biggest critic, you know, we had so many silent car journeys home after matches. You did, you didn't do this. You should have done that. You should have done that. And, and there was, but he was also my biggest fan as well. And to be able to sit at home that night and watch the game back and, and he look at me and go, you're a Premier League footballer. Son. And, and that, that moment was, was pretty special. Awesome. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, we've, we've gone, we've gone to talk, talk about what happened after the game, but we probably should touch upon what happened. In yeah. it. it was an absolute classic playoff final as well. It's surely the, the greatest playoff trilogy of all time. And yeah, did, did you ever, because we, we, we went behind and then obviously at 1-1 we conceded the penalty. Was there any point where you thought this could get away from us? Or were you always quite confident that we had the quality, even with Johnson and Scowcroft not playing? That That's obviously, you know, Scowy injured and then Jono going off early as well. Um, but as I said to you in the semi-final, going behind in games wasn't an issue because we'd done it. We'd done it before, so it didn't affect the mentality of the players. It was something that you know we were quite used to it through the course of the season, and, and we didn't panic. And I think that was the you know when I talk about characters and leaders, and, and as a captain, it makes it easier because you've got people who've got that experience, and and you had, we had six or seven captains in the side really um, that that there was never really a sense of panic about it. Um, and and it helped that Richard Naylor had the game of his life 
as well. And it, it, it could have happened to a nicer guy as well. I mean, you talk about playing through the pain barrier and someone that, that would put his body on the line. I mean, some of the injuries that he, he suffered in his career and um, for him to put in that performance at Wembley that he did, it was just just phenomenal for him. Uh, he was he was my eldest favourite player growing up. Bam Bam, he loved Bam Bam. So um, for him to for him to have the game of his life at Wembley was was just just superb. And uh, look, the game the game actually is a bit of a blur, really. It's it's it sort of came and went. And, and people people often say when you're you know when you're playing those games, enjoy it, enjoy the occasion. It'll be gone like that, you know. And that's exactly how it happened. You know, the the day just went like that. It went out. It went in a flash. So it, the game's a bit of a blur. Um, but the moment I, I knew was when, I, and it, not until then, when Martin scored scored the fourth. Once that went in, I could actually breathe and feel feel a bit better about the fact that we were going to win the game. Excellent. And it, and was lifting the trophy a blur as well, or can you take yourself back into that moment as well? No, I think I think that was a bit more um, because because it was you know all done and dusted. You can actually breathe, and it's a it's a bit of time after the final whistle as well, and um, just just being able to. I mean, I, I probably rushed it. I probably you know got up the steps, couldn't wait to get the trophy. I think I got a hug off David Sheepshanks and. Um, it, it, so yeah, I just, I, I mean, just being able to lift that trophy in the direction of the blue and white, the sea of blue and white, was just a, a moment that will live me forever. Brilliant. And then the celebrations at the Cornhill was it the next day or the or two days later? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, we had, a, we had it, the open top bus, didn't we? Yeah. Was it? Was there a few beers on that bus as well? Was, was did it get pretty lively? Yeah, I'm sure it did. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> you don't remember. I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. No, no, not because I, I had too lazy to drink, but I just again, um, uh, yeah. I, I, I think the focus then is already starting, isn't it, on the following season as well for me. Um, but no, it was, it, the, the, I remember. But I remember the bus parade, of course, I do, and I remember the you know sort of seeing the fans in there uh, uh, seeing the the array of fans again that had come out to celebrate was just amazing um so i, I, I mean i've got a few pictures of it and i look back and think what was i wearing and think, yeah honestly some of this <laughs> but hey like, who cares now it doesn't matter excellent so so at this stage you've played three full seasons for ipswich you didn't miss a single game you started every single one of them as well cups as well um did you ever play injured? Did George get on you, get onto you a little bit if you didn't want to play, or, or was it I just never, a case if you never got injured? I never not wanted to play. Um, I, I I I played with knocks and bruises, and, and there's some games that I probably shouldn't have played. If I'm brutally honest, um, but can you remember I, I, any of them? Not any in particular. Um, when we beat Sunderland 5-0 uh, and Fanidi scored. <laughs> yeah. You remember that? The, the chip at the, yeah, at the top. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that, brilliant. That game, that, that game was probably one of the worst I'd felt. Um, I had an ankle injury and it was strapped. I, I didn't I, I remember getting through the game and not and not making a tackle in that game. And it, wow. luckily, luckily we'd luckily we'd won quite comfortably and I didn't have to make a tackle. Um, but my left ankle in that game was was in bits. So I remember that one in particular. Uh, I'm trying to think of any others. I, 
there was a load of times when I shouldn't, I say shouldn't have played. Some of the, some, honestly, some of the fitness tests were laughable. I mean, literally laughable. I, I, I went, one particular fitness test, we went away from home. I can't even where, remember where we were, but we literally, George, eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning, um, before breakfast, he got me out to the to the bus. He got a ball off the bus. We're in the car park and he sort of done, do a few headers, do a few headers. I was sort of wincing and I was like, threw the, threw the ball to me, doing a little few side foots and said, what do you think? What do you think? I said, struggling. I said, I'm struggling. He said, I think you'll be all right. All right. I said, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. <laughs> I mean, that was, honestly, it, it was like that a couple of times. But it, it didn't seem to do you any harm because you were still still playing well into your 30s and playing playing pretty much every game at, at Charlton, weren't you? Uh, yeah, well, I got to 35, and um, I mean, now, now you'd laugh. I mean, well, first five minutes of the morning, you, if I was a horse, you'd put me down probably. But it takes <laughs> takes me it takes me a little while to get the old joints moving, and I am a bit stiff at times, uh, particularly the well, I say the ankle, ankles and knees a little bit, but a hip, a right hip. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't change any of it. And I, it's and I worth it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change any of it. And if you know, if I had those choices to make again, absolutely, I'd have an injection. I'd have whatever it takes to, I'd have whatever it takes to play. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. And you, you mentioned George Burley's fitness test. Is it true that he also got you to take a dip in the sea yeah. to try and call an injury once? Yeah, well, a few times actually. He used yeah, to send right. me to, used to send me to Brightling Sea. Uh, well, okay. that's because that was the nearest. That was nearest to where I lived, Brightling Sea, the coast. I was still about twenty-five minutes away. It wasn't like it was next door, uh, but it's it's even send me home early from training sometimes, and and so I'd have treatment in the morning. And he'd say right instead of having treatment in the afternoon, he said go home, fire the beach, and go and have like an hour in, and paddling in the in, the, in Bright, uh, Brightling Sea. So it was, <laughs> I spent many afternoons in Brightling Sea, just honestly blowing a gale, pouring with rain. Yeah, how was, was that in January? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I was out there with my coat on, freezing, got my feet in the in the sea, trying to get fit for the for the weekend. Brilliant. Well, we we do appreciate it, Matt. Um, and that that run of you not missing games did carry on into the Premier League, um, and you seemed to take to it like a duck to water, as did the rest of the Ipswich team. Was the golfing quality between the first division and the Premier League Premiership at the time? bigger or smaller than you expected or was it was it just that we we played to the standard i, I don't really know to be honest I, I i think the the opening day was quite a rude awakening um where we played oh. spurs yeah mark Venus scored early on and then uh we i think it was it was the moment where we realized you can't make it you know you can't make silly mistakes you get punished for it because the quality and the you know the 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 step up I guess was was quite evident, you know they'd spent fifteen million on a striker who ended up scoring and and that that was the moment where you thought right well we can't do that you know you can't get away with silly little mistakes at times, um, but that the first home game against United I think was the moment where we thought actually we you know we'll be all right here because they were the champions they won it they won it two years running I think um, and we go oh, actually won it won it from third year that year as well. Um, but that moment, that moment was the moment I think that we all thought, "Hang on a minute, we'll we'll be all right here because we can mix it with these. We'll we'll be okay." Um, so uh, I don't know. I think that just gave us an awful lot of confidence that game against United to to kick on that season. Mm, yeah, another another fantastic night with Fabian Wilness's goal. Probably should have won that night as well. Beckham's Beckham scored with a cross, didn't he, in that one? Um, but at the time, did you think that you and your teammates appreciated just how special it was, or was it just 
was it just like any other season you're just trying to trying to win on Saturday? Uh, I don't think you think about it. Honestly, I don't think you think about it. I, you know, I, uh, we were all very close to each other, very, very professional as well. Uh, all had quite a, you know, a strong desire to, to perform. Um, uh, you know, we had a lot of players who hadn't necessarily played at that level before as well. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, th- I just think there was a really good spirit and camaraderie about the group. Uh, and I don't think anyone really wanted, you know, would let anyone rest on what they'd achieved. It was, it was just like that's done. What's what's ahead now is the most important thing. And and that season, George actually did set us targets each month. He'd, he'd sit us down and and we'd have like the fixtures for the for the month ahead, and he'd sort of ask us how many points you think we're going to get from this. And we had to be have to be honest about it and what we thought we might get. And and he'd say, this is what I think, and this is where we can, you know, so. It, there was always a not a case of resting on what you've done or thinking about what you've you've achieved. It was always a case of right, what's next? What can we do? What can we do better? What can we improve on? How can we get? You know, how can we do even better than we have been doing as well? So there was always, I think, and that drive from individuals as well to push push on and, and you know and do well at that level as well. Did we were you surprised by how well? you matched up on a personal level to the likes of Keane Vieira, Gerard Scholes. And it's a classic question. It's quite a, quite a boring one, but who gave you your hardest game in the Premier League? It's difficult. I, I, so many, you know, there's so many good players at that time. You just mentioned a few and I think Gerard was just starting to come through, wasn't he as well? There was, you know, there was so many, so many good players that you came against. Um, I, for me, it was always about testing, testing myself against the best it's what I'd grown up wanting to do you know I, and 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 for me for me the bigger the name the bigger the challenge really and and you know wanted to impose myself on on some of the some of the bigger names um I, 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 it's difficult because i mean man united's midfield at that time was ridiculous wasn't it I, beckham skulls keen gigs i mean I, that's nicky button uh, reserve <laughs> nicky nicky button reserve i mean it's uh, a <laughs> It was a frightening midfield that they had at, at that particular time. Um, yeah, Roy was obviously a, a, a tough competitor. Um, Vieira, I, 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 Gerard, I, I always say Gerard was difficult because he was a real box-to-box midfielder as well. Someone that you know wanted to get back and challenge you, whereas then he'd be up and trying to race back and into the opposition box. Sometimes, like Frank Lampard, for instance, would not necessarily chase you all the way into the box. He'd sort of pass you on to the centre halves and then. As soon as he lost the ball, you could see him. He was going the other way, and you're thinking, "Oh no, I've got to get back now." So he was very clever in the way that he did things. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's very, it's very difficult, really, for me to, to pick out any individuals. But I just, I just enjoyed the challenge of of playing against the biggest names. Really, you ended up making over 200 appearances in the Premier League. Do you think that the league sort of suited you in a way because? you never really needed time on the ball to play your game and you you were good working in tight spaces. You were a, a runner, as you mentioned before, lots of energy, good tackler. Do you think that the Premier League suited you in a way? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know really. I mean, again, it's for, for others to judge. I, mean, um, I, 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 enjoy, I obviously enjoyed the challenge of, of playing in the Premier League um, and, and I, I, I I kept I kept things quite simple, you know. I you know I didn't try. I wasn't someone that tried to overcomplicate things. You know, I I, I did you know, play to my strengths. I didn't try and be anything that I wasn't. 
you know, I didn't try and be um, Kieran Dyer who might go and take people on. I didn't try and be Jim Magilton who might be able to hit those big crossfield passes and or, or pick out his centre forwards all the time. I played to my strengths. You know, I was energetic, box to box, kept things simple, kept the ball moving. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's for others to judge whether the Premier League suits me or not. But I, but I certainly enjoyed the challenge of playing at the top level. Absolutely, and. You you did eventually miss out on your first game that season, though, when you were left out uh, of a game against Crewe in the Cup. I think it might have been to do with being in an international squad. So that was 200-odd games in, I was in succession. Wave, that was going to be my question. Well, were you angry? Yeah, I was fuming. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to. Play. I wanted to play every game. I mean, look, George George would have would have explained it, and and he, uh, he, his reasons were probably the right ones at the time. Um, but I, I, I remember because we travel. I travelled as well. You know, if he, if he's not going to play me and I'm going to be sat in the stand, you know, you, you're wondering why you've even, why is he even, you know, brought me up here. I'm thinking I've, I've travelled all the way to Crew, and you're what, and you just sit me in the stand. So I, I was, I was a bit frustrated. Yeah, you know, he could have put me on the bench even, or you know, and I could have come on and and. Um, I, I have to, next time I see him, I'll have to bring that up with him again. Well, you <laughs> so, know what? Mate? I don't. I don't think you did too badly out of it because I remember the camera showing you on the highlights in the stand, and all the Ipswich fans thinking, "Oh, good on Matt Holland," even though he's not playing, he still travelled up <laughs> no. there to watch them. So, well, actually, actually, you know, I did use to travel. It didn't matter if you know, even if I was injured, I would have gone to the game anyway. There's no, you know, that I'm not moaning about that at all. But I'm just, no. I'm just making, I'm just making the point that he sent me all the way yeah. to crew. He's taken me all the way to crew, and he's not even put me on the bench. You know, I'm not, <laughs> not even getting changed. I'm still in my tracksuit. I'm thinking, you know, what, what? I was, I want to play, and so I, I would have been, I would have been frustrated. But even if I was injured, I still, I still would have travelled with the team. Brilliant. And yeah, we had some fantastic nights again that season. Fantastic days, of course, as well. Winning away at Liverpool, winning away at Everton. You scored a goal that helped relegate Man City right at the end of the season. Obviously, the United game that you've already mentioned. What are the games that you look back on with most fondness from that season? Uh, well, I enjoyed my my first Premier League goal against Charlton, uh, ironically. Um, so I enjoyed that. I, the Everton game really stands out, actually, as, as a big memory because of the reaction of the Everton supporters post-match. And that that is something that will always stick with me because we were, they, often when a team's getting hammered at home, the fans disappear and just boo their own team off. The Everton fans all stayed and clapped us off the pitch. And that, that was, honestly, that was one of my most favourite memories of that season. You know, the fact that we'd, we'd put a display on as, as we had done at Everton and the supporters there recognised what a good performance it was from from us as well. So that that actually would have been one of my favourite memories. Obviously, winning at Anfield's you know, amazing. Something that something um, will always stick with me. But that Everton game is probably the one memory where I, I really thought, yeah, that's 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 really you know, classy actually of the Everton supporters. Yeah, definitely. And you, you were playing against one Paul Gascoigne in that game as well, weren't you? Is that? I've, got his, I've actually got his shirt. I've got. I've actually got his shirt from that game as well. Um, I, I mean, what a, what a player! What a player! Um, what a sad story, really. I, it, it, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story from that game. Uh, there was a break in play twenty five minutes into the game, and um, stood next to him, and he's got Holland eight written on his hand. He, he's literally written it in biro across his hand, and I'm I sort of stood with him, laughing and joking, and said, "What?" 
seriously, what's that about? He said, honestly, he said, he tells me where I'm marking and I, uh, corners and stuff, and I forget. He said, so I have to, I have to write it on my hands so I remember who I'm supposed to be picking up from set pieces. He said, because I always, always forget. So, so that, he had his, yeah, he had my name written on his hand. It was like madness, really. And then I, I did get his shirt actually for that. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't one of those that was sort of chasing to get shirts and stuff. Um, but it just happened that that I ended up getting his shirt at the end of that game. Brilliant. And did he take yours as well? I don't know. Don't know. Good question. <laughs> I <don't... laughs> hope so. I hope he's still got it somewhere. Um, I don't know. Well, just on on shirts quickly, I'll tell you a quick story about shirts. Um, Rude uh, Ru van Nistelrooy. I've got his, I've got his um, Dutch shirt. And, oh, okay. and, and, um, uh, and then about Old Trafford, I think it might have been, I've got a tap on the shoulder. We've come off the pitch and he asked me for my shirt. And I, he said, "You know, you got you got my Dutch shirt." He said, "Can I have your Can I have your shirt?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And this story was asked for my shirt. He said, "Your name is Holland. I come from Holland." <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> I thought it's because he thought I was a good player, but obviously not. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Then, well, you weren't that far behind him that season, were you? The, that first season, we finished in fifth. Uh, the European Tour came the, the next season. Obviously, it was a disappointing league campaign do you think that the european tour in a way where we played played in moscow helsingborgs and then into milan and the san siro do you think that was the reason why we got relegated was that distraction early on in the season having to play on thursdays and sundays or do you think that's sort of an easy excuse for why it think, went wrong i think it's it's a reason I think there's a number of reasons. I think it is one of them. I think because, as I said earlier, I think there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of attention when we first got promoted. We're in the Premier League. It's the first time a lot of players have played at that level. The following year, the UEFA Cup was something fresh, something new. Again, it was a new experience for a lot of players and a lot of perhaps the attention went on to the UEFA Cup and we perhaps took our eyes slightly off, off the Premier League. Um, there was a number of players that didn't play as well that season. And I'll be the first to hold my hands up and say that I didn't have a great season. Um, so there was, there was a number of players that didn't play to the level that they had done the previous season. So that didn't help. And then there's people, you know, people will blame Fanidi and Matteo Serini. Um, I, I don't blame them individually or, or, or at all. Um, you know, what I would say is that there's a number of players who in that dressing room who sort of, been there, seen it, done it all the way and, and seen the journey really from from an early point to get to promotion and get to where we got the previous season. Um, and I think there was one or two who felt they'd come in on big money and that, and that perhaps disrupted a bit of harmony in the dressing room and not because they were bad lads at all because you know they they bucked in and and were good lads so it wasn't that at all but i think the fact that they were perhaps earning a lot more money than some of the others who'd been there seen it and and grafted to get to that point maybe didn't help so i think there was a, i think there was sort of you know you can you can put them all together and and when did, when all that happens um that's that's why we we ended up ultimately failing that year yeah so we we dropped down uh, to Division One, but you, of course, were picked for the Republic of Ireland squad after helping them qualify for the 2002 World Cup in Japan and Korea. Um, and you scored, of course, in the first group game against Cameroon, a game that you've already already mentioned. How special was that? Can you explain what yeah. that was like? Well, again, I, again, it's it's one of those moments where. Uh, 
uh, you grow up watching some of the World Cups, 82, 86. I mean, you know, I remember them, you know, 90, uh, all those World Cups that you grow up and it's the biggest thing. It's the biggest stage and a dream really to play at that level, you know, just to be selected to play at, at that level. Um, uh, that the goal was was just wow. I mean, to, to play in a World Cup special, to, to score in a World Cup makes it makes it even bigger. Again, uh, my dad was there, which was a br- brilliant. He, he's he, he's sadly no longer with us, but he was at the game and he was able to see that. My wife, my two boys were there. Um, he, he, when I when I scored, you know. Scoring is an unbelievable feeling. It, it, you know, doesn't matter what. Le- I, to me, it didn't matter whether it was against Port Vale away, whether it was against Cameroon in the World Cup. It means the same because it's it's only one goal anyway. So it, 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 the feeling of scoring a goal is is unbelievable. And for a moment in that game, particularly, I lost myself and didn't know where I was running and what I was doing. And and I, and I ran to the right hand side and of the goal until it sort of clicked and I remembered where my family were because I'd seen them before they, they'd had to get there really early because it was a bullet train um, that took them to the match and they'd, so they'd been at the stadium sort of two and a half hours before kickoff so when we came out to do our little walk on the pitch and have a look at it they were there and I'd seen them So and I hadn't seen them for four or five weeks up until that oh, wow. point because because we'd, we'd been away since um, the end of the season we had Narquin's testimonial I think straight away at the back end of the season and we were away so we'd had a couple of weeks in Japan as well um, and so saw them. I knew where they were. Then I run around the back of the goal, and I'm shrugging Robbie Keane off, Damian Duff, Mark Kinsella's trying to grab me, and, and so I could just wave to the family. What I didn't realise, one of my kids was asleep. He it had been an early start, so he was asleep. Uh, my wife threw a can of Coke over everybody around her. Nobody, <laughs> ca- no, nobody cared though. It was it was one of those moments, and uh, so yeah, that 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 is is you know, one of the, you know, personal, personally, an ultimate, you know, obviously team wise, you know, playing at, at Wembley and then, you know, drawing with Germany, even in the next game was, was perhaps um, even a bigger result than the one against Cameroon. But from a personal level, you know, playing and scoring at a World Cup, it, it doesn't get much better. And of course, there, before that game, there was the, the, the infamous training ground bust up between Mick McCarthy and Roy Keane and, so this is an Ipswich Town podcast and both of those blokes went on to be Ipswich Town managers with varying degrees of success. Where did you stand on what happened and would you have rather have been lining up alongside Roy Keane than without in that Cameroon game? Of course, you'd rather have Roy in the team. He's a world-class player and of all the players that we had in our squad, he was the one that if you asked any other of the international teams, who would they take out of our side? I reckon they'd all, you know, obviously people would have said Robbie Keane and Damien Duff, but the majority would have said we'll have Roy because he was that good. So, of course, we, we missed him. Um, in terms of what, what he his grievances were, I agreed with a lot of what he, what he said and what he thought. You know, the, the fact that was we, we'd got somewhere, the balls hadn't arrived. Mick, Mick agreed with it as well. You know, the, mm. the balls hadn't arrived. The training ground wasn't up to scratch. It was a bit more of a relaxation and a, and a rest and recuperation week. But even so, you know, you're at that stage, um, you expect the best. He was used to the best. He'd been at Man United where everything was perfect. They had a lot more money than the FAI had as well. So he was used to being things being perfect. I think he'd, he'd had a conversation with Mick and I think Mick thought that was it. And I think the fact that, that Roy then aired his grievances in public and did a did an article in the paper, I think that, that kicked it all off again. It opened up and 
the hornet's nest and um and that was the reason why it kicked off it's i actually agree with a lot of what roy said and thought um but i'm not sure i would have jeopardized a, a, a place at a world cup for it but you know we're different characters you know I, i'm mm. very very different to, to roy uh so uh, but at the same time uh, you know i i could you know i could understand mick being frustrated as well that he thought he'd dealt with it in public in private sorry and then the whole thing had been made public by roy in an article in the Sunday paper so it was it was a real shame that it, that what happened uh, uh because it would have been nice to play alongside roy in midfield and it was a, a decent world cup campaign for for ireland you were eventually knocked out on penalties by spain and there was a lot of clubs interested in you that summer matt what ultimately made you stay at ipswich town when there was so much interest from premier league clubs well i think i think the only bid that was that was ever accepted was aston villa i think that was the, that was the only one that, that the club actually accepted i think there might have been interest from others i don't know is the honest answer um and i wasn't actively looking to to go straight back to the premier league because i also i felt i felt that i wanted to get ipswich back into the premier league having not played well the previous season uh i, I wanted to get the club back to you know where I felt we belonged at that stage. Uh, so I, I, I found uh, the only club I was given permission to speak to was Aston Villa. I spoke to Graham Taylor, and I had um, I had a four year contract at Ipswich at the time. So I was twenty eight, and my contract ran till I was thirty two at Ipswich. And Graham Taylor was he was brilliant actually. Yeah. He, I think he was he, he was struggling because his chairman wasn't willing to sort of go the extra mile and and, and push the bow out. They only actually offered me a three year deal, and and the money, I mean the, the money was better for two years, but was less than I was going to be earning at Ipswich in the third year. So I, I said to Graham Taylor, "Look, if you really want me, you're going to have to." You know, you're gonna to have to really want me. You know, you're gonna to have to get, give me at least a four-year deal, match what I'm doing, and 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 the money's gonna to have to be better than 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 it is at Ipswich. Um, and he, his chairman just wouldn't do it because he said that the third year I'd have turned thirty, and he wasn't gonna, he wasn't willing to pay a thirty-year-old um, that money. So that was that really. I, I and I and I did feel an obligation to try and get Ipswich back in, into the Premier League as well. So so that was you know. That's me being brutally honest about the whole situation and and how it panned out. Um, did speak to them, and I was I was willing to make the move because you know obviously wanted to play. I want to play at the Premier League, but at the same time, I did feel a sense that I wanted to get Ipswich back. Yeah, and and we were all grateful grateful that you stayed. And it was a it was actually a really good Ipswich team that missed out on the playoffs that year. Obviously, Thomas Gardso coming through, Darren Bent, Darren Ambrose at the start. Riderson was still there at the start as well. Um, we weren't so strong in goal, but we'll ignore <laughs> ignore that one. Um, but yeah, ben, Benjamin Bloom had a had an interesting question um, for you on free kicks because you started to take a few more free kicks in that second season in the Premier League, and then in that um, the season after the relegation, sort of the indirect free kicks. Was that something that you always had in the locker, or was that something that you yeah. you decided to bring into your game as you? Got a little bit older. No, I scored a few. I actually scored a few like that for Bournemouth as well. Uh, if you look back, I scored. A, I scored one at Shrewsbury. I scored one at Gillingham. I scored a few. I scored a few. Um, that type of free kick. I, you know, 
I wasn't the most you know, elegant in terms of free. I wasn't the one who was floating one over the top of the goalkeeper, like Martin Royster, for instance, who, you know, he, he, he could get it up and down quickly and top corner. I was someone that went for power. That was just, you know, George Burley said, I've got the driver. That was, you know, use the driver at times as well. So <laughs> it, it was, it was literally, that was, that's all it was really. Um, I, I don't remember consciously taking more free kicks. I don't, I don't remember that personally, but it's, it's interesting that it's been spotted by someone. um and yeah you did eventually have to go though you charlton came calling at the end of that season um how hard was it to say goodbye to ipswich fans you scored in your last game away at derby that was sort of a a nice send-off but how difficult was it to say goodbye to ipswich yeah i think i think i always knew it was probably going to be my last game and and uh, it was pretty much my last touch in an ipswich shirt I think it might even have been my last touch of the Ipswich shirt scoring at Derby. Um, but financially, uh, I, I, there was, you know, David Sheepshanks basically said, you're going to have to go. Um, and I, I was on international duty, actually, uh, with Ireland when I got the phone call that, that they'd accepted bids from Portsmouth and Charlton. And uh, I flew back, I played the game, I think, and flew back straight into... Um, into Stansted and I think I went and met met Alan Kirbishley. Um spoke to Harry Redknapp he'd been my manager at West Ham as well uh, I, ironically not let me go but you know had sort of um, offered me a deal at West Ham but at the same time said I'm down the pecking order and if you want to go to Bournemouth then absolutely that won't stand in your way uh, so he tried to sign me for Portsmouth but, I, but again once I'd spoken to Alan Kirbishley I was pretty much made my mind up really um, about where he saw me playing and how he saw it, it going. And I, I often sort of think that Charlton's quite similar to Ipswich in terms of the, the, the club, the size of the club, the, 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 the fan base, the the, um, the way it's very much a community-based um, club as well. And, and, and so I, I didn't really get an option. I was I was going. It was just where, where I was going to go to. It's, it, it was very difficult to say goodbye because... I'd had six unbelievable years and, you know, if at a choice, I'd love to have said I'm going to stay here for the rest of my career and I'm going to be 35 and I'm waving goodbye at 35 to the Ipswich fans. It would have been nice to have played 500 plus games for the club. You know, those things I look back on and think it would have been great to do, but it unfortunately wasn't to be. Um, but I, yeah, look, Charlton was a good club and I had some really good times and, and um, enjoyed my time there as well. But it, it, it was always tough. It was really tough to say goodbye. Yeah, and I, I think I can speak for most Sipswich fans when, when I say that we always wished you well at Charlton and started looking out for their results. And then you were obviously joined there by Horidus and Darren Ambrose later on and Charlton became Charltown. Um, it did, Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think you you played over a hundred times in the Premier League for for Charlton, and then and then you retired pretty much st- still in the Premier League, weren't you? No, no championship at the time um, when I when I retired at thirty five. I I actually I, yeah, people say, oh, could you have carried on? Could you have you know played a bit longer? Um, I, I, what I didn't want to, was to be sort of chasing around looking for a year's contract here and there. Yeah, you know, I, I I wanted to sort of go in my terms, and actually, I started to do more and more in the media, and it just sort of happened that I, you know I ended up doing that that sort of stuff became more I don't know um, I became busier in that respect 
you know, at 35, uh, I, I wasn't I wasn't really sure what I was going to do when I finished. It was it was a case of Andy Townsend actually said to me, just keep as many doors open as possible because you never know which door is going to open when you when you turn 35. It might be the coaching door. It might be the media door, whatever it might be. It might be something totally different. You just don't know what's going to open. And it, it just so happened that at 35, the media door opened wider than any other. And people often ask me about management and coaching and would I have done it and would I like to do it? I, I, yeah, is the answer. I would. Uh, I, I actually got offered the reserve job at Charlton under Ian Dowie. He, he, he offered me a reserve job there when he was in charge. Uh, but I was 33 and I felt he was, I still had a bit to offer and I, I felt it was too, too early really for me to take it. Um, so I decided against it at that particular time. Uh, and then... I applied for the Ipswich job once. That's the only job I've ever, ever actually physically applied for. When I say applied, I didn't put the CV in, but I went and spoke to the club and said that I'd like to, to be considered. Um, but the decision was already made that they were going to go for a bit more experience, really. And, and so I, I, I totally understood that. I always I always say, I, look, never rule anything out, but I think I think my time has probably gone in terms of being, being a manager now. I, I always say that I'd probably be divorced if I was a football manager. And, and, you know, sometimes you have to put your family before football. And and I, I'm the sort of person, you might be able to tell listening to me, I live and breathe football. And I, I get moaned at now for watching too much football at home. Uh, I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a manager. If I was a manager, I'd be 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'd be on the phone. I'd be thinking about it. I wouldn't be sleeping. Um, I, I, it would It would affect my family life. And, and so sometimes you have to put your family a, a, ahead of it at times. And so the, there's there's definitely a bit of me that would like to have had a go. And, and I watch matches now when I'm commentating and I, and I watch them as a manager. And I, and I think, right, if I was in charge of this team, what would I do? Would I take him off? How would I change it? Would I go to a back four? Would I go? All, all those things go through my mind when I'm watching a game um, because because it's what I've always done. It's what I, you know, I, I, and I love the game so much, but I... I, I yeah, I think I think I think my my time of perhaps having a go at it is, is gone. Excellent. I, c- I can't believe that I forgot that you were in the championship with Charlton because he bloody scored against us, didn't he? But um, it, is that right? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I did. Right. Uh, the, no, maybe it's Darren said, Ambrose. Then. Must be Darren, Darren Ambrose. Ambrose. I actually crossed it for Darren Ambrose. I crossed okay. I crossed the ball from the right, and I remember sort of thinking, "Do I celebrate?" And I ended up running, sort of running back to the halfway line, having a bit of a celebration. I actually hit the post in the same game. Oh, I, think, I think we, yeah, I hit the I hit the post late on in the game. Um, I, I'd scored against Charlton, obviously my first Premier League goal. Um, I, I, I played a, a pre-season friendly for Charlton, scored against Bournemouth. I scored against West Ham, but no, I didn't score against Ipswich. Okay, well, I'll have to apologise again for that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, me getting that question wrong sounds like that probably is a good place to end uh, the show. Thank you very much for joining us, Matt. Um, I'm sure that everyone will enjoy watching this one through. And, um, absolute pleasure. Really appreciate you having me on. And, and can I just say to everyone, please keep safe and well. You know, it's a strange old time that we're that we find ourselves in at the moment. I think we're all struggling a little bit. You know, we all like football back and we'd all like to be back at Portman Road, but, but please keep safe, keep well, uh, look after yourselves. And um, when it resumes, hopefully we'll be back in the championship very soon.
It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.